0: Welcome to the War in Ukraine Update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ginawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm talking with Marek Menkizak. Marek is head of the Russian department at the OSW Centre for Eastern Studies in Warsaw. Marek is an expert on Russia's internal foreign and security policy, as well as European security, and the place of NATO in the regional security architecture. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Marek. Thank you. Could you tell listeners a bit about the OSW Centre for Eastern Studies?
1: We usually are called think tank. However, we are a state uh, institution which has been established in the year 1990 by the first non-communist government of Poland to assist Polish administration with the understanding of the then Soviet Union. And of course, later after the breakup of the Soviet Union, the post-Soviet states, but increasingly we enlarged the scope of our uh, analysis to other countries, other regions. And we cover now uh, a broadly defined neighborhood of Poland, starting from Germany and the Northern European countries through the Balkans, uh, Central Europe, post-Soviet states, covering also Turkey, Israel, and uh, China relations with the the European countries, and especially in terms of economics. We analyze both internal politics, uh, economy, energy, security, defense, uh, and foreign policies uh, of those countries. From, obviously, the Polish point of view and to our nation's interests, we are based on state uh, law uh, passed by the parliament. We are fully funded by state budget and we report to the prime minister's office. However, intellectually, we are very uh, independent in the sense that we write and we say what we believe in, what we think we publish a lot our website which is freely available it's also has an English version where most of our public material materials are translated
0: mm-hmm. and have you found that with the full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine this year has your work shifted or changed in any way
1: in very practical terms it means sort of state of emergency it means that we basically work uh, around the clock, uh, seven days a week with uh, short intervals for sleep, and we produce several memos per day for our authorities, which have a direct uh, link to the current events uh, and its analysis. Now it is uh, slightly more a routine, but still, obviously, the, this war is our top priority.
0: 2020, you wrote a report under the activities of your centre on NATO-Russia relations that indicated several scenarios under which Russian aggression could increase. And I actually want to quote a couple of sentences from your report, which I don't usually do on the podcast. But this was very striking. So you say that Russian aggression could increase if the level of political instability in Russia increases and the Kremlin deems that there is a significant threat to the regime's survival. In such a situation, Moscow may try to provoke a conflict with neighboring countries, e.g. Ukraine, or even including NATO members, in order to channel social discontent and try to consolidate society against an external enemy. Now, that's interesting to me because in that build-up to the full-scale Russian invasion, most analysts were saying, it's not going to happen, this is just a bluff. And so I'm wondering from your point of view, you wrote that in 2020, did you anticipate that, you know, something like a full-scale invasion could occur
1: well, the short answer to your question Luna, is that, yes, I was surprised. So basically, we have never discarded a kind of radical scenarios in terms of uh, Russian behavior, Russian ways of aggression uh, towards its, their neighbors, but also a broader West. We have to understand, maybe it is a kind of a surprise statement, but from my point of view, it's, it's obvious Russia is at war with the West for many years already. This war takes different forms, and Russia uses different instruments. And its aggression on Ukraine, which uh, in military terms had started in 2014 and has been hugely escalated 24 to February this year, we always believed that there are some radical scenarios Russia may take within the scope of that large conflict. Basically, we believe there is a high probability of limited scale escalation within Donbas. So the idea was that Russia needed sort of victory in military terms, which would create a political backlash within Ukraine and will change the course of the policy of Ukrainian government which was directly opposite to the Russian demands and Russian expectations. There were two other scenarios, contactless warfare, resembling a sort of Yugoslav bombardments by NATO in 1999. So basic sort of repetition of that by Russia towards Ukraine. And finally, there was a radical scenario of all-out invasion uh, done by Russia with the name of uh, basically occupy a large swath of of Ukraine's territory. Me, myself, and uh, some of my colleagues believed that it's a low probability. The third one, which actually happened, was considered low probability. And why? For very obvious reasons. We knew that there will be fierce resistance by the Ukrainians and there will be no chances for Russians actually to do it smoothly however on the other hand we believed that the overwhelming force Russia could use in such a scenario would actually deem Ukraine for limited scope of direct military resistance and actually we thought about some sort of guerrilla warfare scenarios uh, in Ukraine. So basically, Ukraine becoming a sort of Afghanistan. We also knew that there would be a massive reaction of the major Western countries, mostly through the form of fierce economic sanctions, which would hugely undermine the Russian economy. So basically, there would be huge costs imposed on Russia. In both cases of the Ukrainian resistance and the Western responses, including sanctions and especially uh, military supplies uh, for Ukraine from the West, it seems to us the Russians were surprised. At least the people in the Kremlin, with Putin himself uh, making the decisions, political decisions about that invasion, have not anticipated such levels.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you account for that mistaken perception on behalf of the Russians?
1: So what was the calculus of the Russians? The easiest answer to that was that it is because of a mix of ignorance and arrogance. So basically those people, the Russian high establishment, very much believe they know Ukraine as they know other so-called post-Soviet states, because they've interacted with those people for decades. They know the routines, they know mentality, they know how it works, how people react. However, they are wrong, because they simply do not understand the changes that have taken place in the course of the last 30 years. These are different countries. These countries have developed a lot on a very different track, different from Russia's. The societies have changed considerably and people's thinking and people's mentalities have changed. So they basically had not understanding of that or they ignored any signals of of those changes. Another element of that is a result of projecting their own images. So basically, those people who are themselves authoritarian leaders do not see any agency in societies, in general public. They consider relations between the states are narrow relations between small elite groups of people. So basically, they could not understand that uh, it is not enough actually to pressure the elite enforce some decisions. It is actually the society, in terms of Ukraine especially, which really is a factor important in political life and for the decision-making of the Ukrainian government. Another element was that there is a whole system in authoritarian states, and Russia becomes in the last two years, and unfortunately, already a partly totalitarian state, that there is a way of false reporting ongoing. So, There are people, especially with the institutions of force uh, within the military, but especially in the secret services of Russia, which fully understand that their best chances to be promoted and to get the access to the ear of the ruler, Vladimir Putin or his uh, immediate supporters, are actually to tell them what they want to hear. They want to hear basically that the West is weak and divided and there will be no chances for a strong responses from the West. They want to hear that Ukrainians are easily impressed by force and actually it is enough to have a quick move to Kiev to force, to flee the Ukrainian government, which was totally wrong. So basically, those people know that uh, whenever they would try to tell the truth, they will actually be suspected of treason. So this is a mechanism, psychological, political mechanism, which is very typical for such a type of government, which actually inevitably produces mistakes in decision-making process.
0: hmm Do you think that we're seeing right now what you'd outlined in that report, that really Putin's regime are trying to sort of channel domestic social discontent by engaging in aggressive actions abroad?
1: Why in general Russia wanted to enforce those things on Ukraine, there are a few elements in that. Some of them are quite rational. So basically in a long-term perspective, Ukraine has always been a very important, the most important country of the post-Soviet space for the Russian leadership. Increasingly Putin, who has always been slightly obsessed uh, with Ukraine. All major initiatives about the so-called post-Soviet integration uh, in the last 30 years and increasingly under Putin's rule in the last 20 years were focused actually on making Ukraine join Russia controlled structures especially economic and political structures that was behind most of the initiatives the Kremlin has actually created that was natural because Ukraine is and is always was the, the most important uh, country in terms of its geographical location but also its economic potential from the point of view of of Russia Russia could not properly consider itself In its own view, as a great real great power without possessing this self declared sphere of influence, and Ukraine has always been the most important part of this self perceived sphere of influence. And the last hopes vanished with Zelensky government. The Russians believed that, well, maybe Zelensky would take a a different course than Poroshenko government and it will pay the price of peace in Donbass by offering Russia some political and economic concessions, what Russia wanted, these hopes have vanished. Ukraine became increasingly linked to the West. It has embarked upon a process of European integration, very slow, long-term, but still ongoing process with the establishment of association agreement and free trade agreement with the European Union, visa-free regime with the EU, and increasing cooperation with West, major Western countries, including security and military cooperation, including with the United States. So that was also a part of this thinking that if We allow that to continue. Actually, we lose uh, chances to reintegrate Ukraine in a more distant future. But beside of that, that was always a Russian desire to uh, destroy the security order in Europe and beyond, which have been perceived not only by Putin and his direct establishment people, but also a broader elites uh, in Russia as unjust. So basically, the major goal of the Russian government, especially under Putin's rule, increasingly was to change that status quo, which have happened after the Cold War ended. And uh, those people believed that Russia, through the course of development, also the militarization and military reform, which have been taken in the last decade in Russia, enough strong now, actually, to enforce these changes of the status quo, optimally establishing a new security arrangement, new security architecture in Europe, which would allow Russia to play a de facto role of a decision maker in the European security. These were the strategic goals They have been pursued by uh, years and even decades of the Russian policy, and all of them failed. Russia was unsuccessful on all accounts of this policy. So basically, the idea was, since the previous methods we've used, political pressure, economic pressure, some uh, sabotage, subversion operations, have actually proved the Ineffective, we have to try something stronger. Taking control over Ukraine in a forceful manner was meant to be a just the first step of this effort by the Russian leadership to put the West actually into a, a decisive moment to create a situation and to start negotiating from the position of strength with the major Western countries and demand what Russia deemed beneficial for their interests and which was formally reflected in a document presented in mid-December last year by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Russia to basically draft treaties with the United States and with the members of NATO, which basically, plainly, stated all those russian goals which have been described so that was part of a broader agenda by russia but my final point is that that was also certain long-term thinking in the russian elite i believe basically russian understood that long-term trends work against russia in terms of long energy trends long-term economic trends long-term demographic trends Russia will increasingly become relatively weaker. So the idea was that if Russia really wants to secure for itself a better position as a self-perceived great power, it has to act immediately, which will lead to this improvement of Russia's general position vis-a-vis the major powers, especially the United States. They've seen those windows of opportunities uh, in the West. They described as a multi-layer crisis of the West. That is a political crisis, this is an uh, economic crisis, social crisis, and ideological crisis. That the Western community is divided and increasingly weakened. This is a huge chance for Russia.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's fair to say, by any account, that despite those motivations and that calculus on Russia's behalf, that after six months following the full-scale invasion, things have not gone as Russia planned. It was interesting that you said that actually Ukraine overperformed what you had expected in your analysis prior to the full-scale invasion. And I guess Russia has, I'm assuming, underperformed what you might have also expected in your analyses prior. So, Where do we then expect that Putin will go from here?
1: We believe that the plan A, let's say, the true goal was actually to decapitate the Ukrainian leadership, fastly taking uh, over Kyiv, allowing actually for effective control over the whole Ukraine. That was absolutely a failure. The plan B, let's say, probably meant to be overtaking uh, large parts of eastern and southern Ukraine, all regions of Ukraine bordering Russia, not only Donbass, and not only creating a corridor to Crimea, but also creating a corridor to Moldova, to Transnistria, to capturing Odessa and cutting off completely Ukraine from the Black Sea. And finally, the minimum plan or Plan C seemed to be, as we can speculate, taking over Full uh, administrative borders of Donetsk and Luhansk regions, and capturing corridor to Crimea by taking Zaporizhia and Kherson oblasts regions. And the problem for Putin, problem for Russia, is that even those this minimum goal had not been yet achieved despite a half year of campaign. Would produce a heavy losses for for the Russian armed forces. So basically, they have mostly established a corridor to Crimea, but they haven't get into administrative border of Donetsk region. This is definitely not what the Russians wanted. It is not definitely the the victory Russians wanted for also internal political purposes. I believe that, really, Russia is partly exhausted by this conflict, and Russia needs a pause, which does not not necessarily mean a, a full stop of military invasion, but at least to make it a kind of low intensity for some period. Optimum scenario for the Russians would be to force the Ukrainian government. To sign a sort of political agreement which would impose terms which have been partly made known by the Russians uh, demilitarization of Ukraine, cutting off military support by the West, uh, accepting already lost territories, uh, including those occupied by the Russian forces, by Kiev. These were the terms uh, allegedly presented by the Russians to Ukrainians. But uh, Ukrainian government uh, is not ready to accept those. Also because the Ukrainian society is absolutely not ready to accept uh, such huge concessions. So basically, Russia had been left with uh, some scenarios declare unilateral ceasefire uh, within the conflict, hoping that there will be some uh, also uh, moves on the Ukrainian side because Ukraine is also exhausted as a country. The important element in these calculations is rising the costs uh, of Ukraine in this conflict. And this is the reason why Russians are so brutal in attacking civilian population and the civilian infrastructure in Ukraine. This is basically purposefully done, not only to systematically destroy this infrastructure and making uh, living in Ukraine uh, really uh, difficult, but also to create this uh, moral hazard for the Ukrainian leadership. So basically, we will destroy your country, we will kill uh, more your people, unless you will actually agree to negotiate the terms of, of peace, meaning uh, a conditional surrender. And the other part of this Russian tactics is is to rise the pressure and rise the costs of major European countries using mostly uh, an energy weapon. So this is the sort of calculus the Russians uh, probably now having. And it's actually, I think, and I believe, again, it is a a miscalculation on the parts of the Russians.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why do you say that? I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, can Ukraine have some significant military successes before they get to the point, like really, I think Ukraine would only be willing to come to the negotiating table if they feel there isn't that option for them to have some military successes, because otherwise they're just losing so much I mean, despite those awful costs to the population, which obviously they don't want to be ongoing, but if they stop now, the amount of territory that Russia has occupied is is pretty significant. But why do you say that that's a misperception?
1: The misperception is that the Russians tend to believe that increasing cruelty of their actions, increasing losses the Ukrainians are taking in Ukraine will destroy their morale and will force them to accept a, a sort of capitulation but this is a miscalculation because as for now and i think that will be the case also in the foreseeable future the consequences are directly opposite so basically the consequences of the russian brutality is that there is increasing anger among ukrainians there is increasing hatred towards russia and the russians and there is a decreasing will to uh, go for any concessions towards the Russians. So this is the product of the Russian own tactics, which is exactly counterproductive. But it seemed to me that that Russians are not able to grasp this reality. And their thinking is that it takes time. So we will continue with the same and We will eventually have to see the the benefits of that. And I think that this is the miscalculation. And also this miscalculation is uh, directed towards the European countries. It is beyond any doubt difficulties lie ahead for many uh, countries and societies in Europe. But the consequences of those would rather increase the will to get rid of any uh, dependencies on Russia especially in economic and energy terms, and to basically to cut off political ties, any contacts which has still be ongoing with the Russians, rather than to go for some major concessions. Of course, we could see and we will see disagreements, divisions, but I think in the longer term, it will increase this process of decoupling from Russia for a European country.
0: Mm -hmm. And building on what you said, as I understand from Ukrainians, I've spoken to the current war has pushed Ukraine away from Russia forever, which, you know, clearly was not the original intention. I was interested that you said, you know, there's that atmosphere around Putin or the culture that's built up in the current Russian regime where information that is considered undesirable maybe can't actually reach top decision-makers Etc. I'm interested in your perspective. Do you think, therefore, that Putin actually knows the extent of the losses and the costs to Russia right now that have been taking place in the last six months?
1: Obviously, we can only speculate uh, on that. We have s- only some uh, very indirect kind of suggestions uh, about these processes. But I do believe that Putin is aware, fully aware of, of costs, both in terms of military costs, but also economic costs. Uh, It was very clear that the so-called economic bloc of the Russian government, which have been very much surprised with uh, this invasion, because they were obviously not informed in forehand, they were scared and they were trying to, in a way, influence Putin's thinking in terms of possible limiting the, the scope of this kind of policies, which uh, would have detrimental effect on, on the longer term, especially for the Russian economy. So I do not believe that it is the high level of hiding of this kind of information, which is now very difficult to hide. It is different. It is presenting excuses. So I believe the system works that way, that it basically has to logically somehow persuade to the top leadership to put him, himself that that was in a way unavoidable. There were some serious reasons why there has not been these victorious uh, victories planned achieved. And there are very simple explanation which is also presented openly by the Russian propaganda. We tend to believe that Russian actually uh, using propaganda only as a tool against the, the enemies. But in fact, the paradox is that I believe in many cases, at least the leadership, those people who decide, they at least partly believe what the propaganda says. So they do believe that this is not war with Ukraine because they could not lose the war with Ukraine this is war with the United States of America and NATO. And Ukraine is just a battleground. So basically, the reason why things have not happened how they wanted them to be is because support Ukraine enjoys, mostly from the United States, but also from some other member states. I believe that it is quite easily a way to diffuse all these questions, why we're failing in Ukraine. This has been exaggerated and this has been presented to the leadership basically as a a main reason. So basically, they believe they fight the United States and whole potential of the West in Ukraine.
0: Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Marek. I really appreciate you sharing your reflections and insights. It's been a really interesting and illuminating discussion. My pleasure. Thanks for listening and thanks to Mr Smith for our theme music.